Let me see you put them up. Reach the sky, touch the stars up above, cause it's one time for the underdog. I'm Patrick Bedevi, host of ITM, and today I'm sitting down with Alan Dershowitz, who was a professor at Harvard for over 50 years, and we talked about the cheating scandal, as well as what has changed with Democrats from 50 years ago to today, and what's changed with Republicans from 50 years ago to today. Alan, thank you so much for being a guest on ITM. Pleasure. Yes, it's good to have you here. Thank you. I know you just landed, so it's good. in Brooklyn, my God. Out of all the places, with this beautiful view of one of the most incredible cities in in the world. So, Alan, there's a lot of different angles for us to go to, and uh, we'll have some fun, some things we want to talk about. But one of the things I want to talk about with you is because you've been teaching for such a long time, and you've seen America evolve. If America is a human being, if it's a DNA, if it's a, it's been evolving. And for me, I, I grew up in a family that was very political. My mother said they were communists. My dad said they were imperialists. And I was born and raised in Iran. So I ended up getting into the political side just out of curiosity. Well, so- you know, I defend a lot of the Iranian dissidents now. I was the lawyer for uh, several of dissident groups. And I, I represented yeah. some people who were killed, family of people who were killed in Iran by the by the mullah. So I've been very interested in Iran. Also, I wrote a book opposing the Iran deal, the case against the Iran deal. And I thought President Obama did a terrible, terrible job on that. And although I voted for Obama and voted against Trump, I supported Trump's decision to get out of the deal. So why don't we start talking about your Trump diet, if that's okay with you? Sure. You mentioned the Trump diet. Oh, yeah. I've lost 10 pounds. You lost 10 pounds. Nobody invites me to dinner anymore (laughs) from my old friends on the left. They think I'm a Trump supporter. Uh, Look, I support some of the things he did. I support his decision on the Iran deal. I support moving the embassy of Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. I support many other of his policies, but I oppose his immigration policies. I oppose his uh, opposition to a woman's right to choose. So I'm a liberal Democrat, but I appreciate whatever a president does if he he or she does the right thing. Out of curiosity, who's your favorite president of all time? Lincoln. I mean, that's a cliche, but I think Lincoln was the greatest president. He was the greatest human being. He was a man, I think, without many deep flaws. You know, it's very hard to find people without flaws. Jefferson owned slaves. There's some rumors about him, but, you know, there's some of it, but nobody has verified it. He did say at one point that he didn't think integration was really at all Mm -hmm. possible, that maybe it would be better if former slaves went back to Africa. Uh, That was a view he expressed, but his actions were superb. So living, how about living? Or not living, how about uh, for as long as you've been around? As long as I've been around, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, of course, helped us win the Second World War. He was you put great, him at the top? I would say he was uh, very, very good, deeply flawed, deeply flawed. He had all kinds of problems. Lyndon Johnson was a great president, but his human qualities were very, very flawed. Jimmy Carter was a good former president, not particularly a good president. Bill Clinton was a very good president, I, I think. Uh, Ronald Reagan, I didn't vote for him, but I think was a very good president. Have you ever voted on the right or never have? Once I voted for a governor in Massachusetts, Governor Bill Weld, who was a centrist, moderate Republican. Got it. But I always have voted Democrat. Whether that remains the case, I don't know. I'm going to remain within the Democratic Party as long as I can have some influence on trying to marginalize the extreme left within the party. And let's talk about that. That was the first topic I wanted to get into, and you led me there. Okay. So, for me, what has been the evolution of a Democrat in the last 
60 years. That you, 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 you said you've been teaching 50 years. Mm -hmm. You share with me your age. You started 25. You stopped teaching at you know, 75. 75. Yeah. Okay. You've been around for a while. Yep. What have you seen? What is a Democrat in 1960 versus a Democrat today? Or is it confused a little bit today? It's very confused. Let's start in 1960 or even in 1950. Mm -hmm. Remember the Dixiecrats were mm -hmm. racist, segregationist Democrats. So I could never support that. But you could support the Democratic Party because the Democrats in the North were opposed to the Democrats in the South. Then the Democrats really became a centrist liberal party for many years. They invite, you know, they nominated George McGovern and Michael Dukakis and other people who were who were liberal, but centrist liberal. People like Bill Clinton and uh, even Barack Obama, Joe Biden. Today, I'm afraid the Democrats are becoming the Corbyn party of the United States. Jeremy Corbyn is a racist, anti-Semite, uh, anti-American, horrible human being. And guess who's his biggest supporter? Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders went over to campaign for that bigot and that anti-Semite. A Jew going over to campaign for an anti-Semite. Boy, that you got to scratch no your head about, about that it, one. Yeah. So, you know, if Sanders ever got the Democratic nomination, I could not vote for him. And I could not vote for some of the other hard left Democrats. I hope that the Democrats will nominate a centrist candidate that I could vote for. Who would you position right now as hard left and who will be a centrist? Meaning, would a Elizabeth Warren be a hard left? I would say she's um, she's hardish, seventy percent for forty million above. You know, I would think the centrist candidate would be Joe Biden. Okay, uh, there are others. These folks are often very flexible in their views, and they move to the left to win the primary, then they move to the center to win the election. It's hard to do these days with the social media because everything anybody says is recorded and is played back. So. I think uh, Elizabeth Warren, I knew her for 25 years at Harvard Law School. She was a centrist at Harvard Law School. Then she got into politics and foolishly, foolishly moved left, left, left. She didn't have to. She could be the senator forever. Why did she, though? What was I the reason? Know. Do you know? I don't know. And she is not a hard leftist when it comes to foreign policy. In fact, she didn't know anything about yeah. foreign policy. Weren't her parents Republican or her father? Somebody was I think a, so. Yeah, and somebody I think was a Republican. When I knew her as a professor, she was dead center, dead center left, but now she's moved way to the left, and I don't understand that. I think it's hurt her prospects. Do you think uh, the 2016 election, Sanders kind of hurt uh, Hillary uh, Clinton because she felt like she had to be committed to the far left in order to win also Bernie's crowd, so it's kind of like chasing two different audiences and you lost both of them. Do you I think, think there was a bit right. of that going on? Oh, I think there's no okay. question. There was a bit of that going on, and it could go on again. The primary system drives candidates to the left if they're Democrats, to the right if they're Republicans. Look at Eric Cantor, a very strong conservative leader of the House, gets primaried and beaten because he wasn't far right enough for the Republicans. The Tea Party helped really weaken the, the Republicans. Remember, the Republicans lost the popular vote in the 2016 mm -hmm, election. Of course. They might have won if there were direct elections of president. You can't know how people vote. You know, whether Trump would have campaigned more in California and New York, with the Electoral College, nobody campaigns in New yeah, York. Yeah, he just he knew, he knew California and New York didn't matter. Yeah, yeah he, knew, he knew what was going to happen. Yeah. So, okay, so, so when you say that, so today, when you're looking at them running, how big of a role are you seeing in AOC, uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, or an Elizabeth Warren, or a Bernie, or a Beto? How, how big of a role do you think they're playing in Democrats being confused? Oh, a tremendous role for them being confused. You know, the three new Congresswomen have moved the Democratic Party way to the left, and I see it as part of my responsibility to marginalize 
uh, the three of them and make sure they don't become the face of the Democratic Party. I don't have any problems about the one from Minnesota and the one from Michigan, because mm -hmm. they'll never be the face of the Democratic Party. But the New Yorker, she could be the face of the Democratic Party. She's attractive. She's verbal. She seems to be fairly bright, uh, no experience, and not a lot of deep knowledge, particularly about foreign policy. But she presents well. So she could, in the end, damage the Democratic Party more than the others can, because the Democrats may see her as somebody who is who represents a wing of the party. And there'll be a lot of people who can't vote for a party that has a wing like that. Maybe if I go a little deeper with this on you is, uh, do you think you are a pure Democrat? Like, do you think you're 100% Democrat? Or maybe you yourself may be an independent or libertarian, definitely not a Republican. Maybe, maybe you're not a Democrat. Maybe they are Democrats. Is mm -hmm. there a part of that that you're processing yourself for you or not? Yeah, no? sure. Ronald Reagan once said he didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left him. I haven't, they haven't left me yet. Uh, I'm still a big supporter of Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, that wing of the Democratic Party. But they may leave me at uh, some point, and I worry about that. I'll stay within the Democratic Party. I was going to quit the Democratic Party if they elected Keith Ellison to be their chairman. Keith Ellison was too close to Louis Farrakhan, who was a horrible bigot. And I have to tell you that I'm so proud of Chelsea Clinton for standing up against Farrakhan and standing up against Omar. She, I hope, would be a face of the Democratic Party. Chelsea. I could strongly support her. Yeah, really. She's been very courageous. Really? Yeah, she got a lot of heat for it for what happened she recently did, with the comments she, she made. She stood up to the heat. What do you mostly? think about the fact that she came back and she apologized? Well, I wish she hadn't, but I understand that. I mean, she's a nice woman. I've known her since she's about ten years old. Her and her family used to come to Martha's Vineyard every summer, and we would see them socially when he was president. I invited Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton to come to Rosh Hashanah Jewish New Year services on Martha's Vineyard the first year he was elected president. And it was the first time an American president had ever been at a Jewish New Year service. And so we've been friends to the Clintons um, ever since. So if you were to leave, first of all, what would cause it to, if you leave, where would somebody like you go? Because when I listen to you and I read about you and I read your belief system, you're not, if I took the name out and forget about the name, forget about the resume, forget about the 50 years, forget about who you are that everybody knows, right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Clinton's friends, all this other stuff, you campaign for him. Forget about the books, everything. If I took it out and I say, here's a human being, these are their positions, what would you say he is? So, okay, maybe socially progressive, fine. Right. Uh, I think economically conservative, give or take. Uh, I don't think you're radical to the point where, hey, I think we need to tax, raise this, raise this, raise no. that. I don't think you're there. You know, foreign policy, all that other stuff, you know, you have certain positions that maybe conservative, you know, where sure. you're at with Israel, all this stuff. But I definitely don't put you as a Democrat. So if you weren't a Democrat, I look from the outside, I would position you as somebody that may be more of a independent. So I if would you be. I would be. Okay. If, if so we if didn't you have were to leave, you would go independent. Yeah, if okay. we didn't have a two-party system, yeah. I wouldn't stay with the Democrats. I'd become a libertarian or an independent. Look, I'm thinking about writing a book called Why I Left the Left But Couldn't Join the Right or why I left the Democrats but couldn't become a Republican that if that happens. Yeah. And I think I speak for a lot of people who are very confused today. Yeah. I have to tell you that if Donald Trump were not the president, I think a lot of these folks would vote Republican. But they now see it's impossible to vote for Democrats because of the extreme left elements, and they find it very difficult to vote for Trump because of his personality and the way he talks and what he sometimes says. 
that they don't want to see as role models for their children. Can you talk about that email you got from a friend of yours? You didn't mention the name, the fact that, hey, I can support some of the stuff he believes in, but I can't support him as the individual. How do we get over that? How do we as individuals get, because it's not an easy thing, because a big part of voting, if it was logical, like I said this one time, I said, what if we didn't know who the candidate was and there was no campaigning, you got a sheet of paper that said, this is what this person believes in. This is what this person believes in. No face, no nothing, no nothing, you know, no name. That's title. what happened in the earliest elections that's with the, Jefferson what, yeah, versus Adams. That's there was the, no campaigning. Yeah, so if we did that, how many more people you think would be comfortable voting for somebody? Like, wait a minute, I would vote for him? There's no way in the world I would vote for him. They were disappointed emotionally. Sure. So could you talk about that email you got and how can we get over well, that? Well, I get so many emails. You know like which that. one I'm talking course, about. You know what I'm talking about? I get so many emails yeah. like that. People who are disappointed in me, uh, they want me to join their team. I don't join teams when it comes to politics. Let me give you an example from my own life. The original title from my book, The Case Against Impeaching Trump, the original title, believe it or not, was the case against impeaching Hillary Clinton. Wow. Because I thought Hillary Clinton would get elected. You get, can I see it? Sure. You I thought Hillary Clinton me. would get elected, and I was going to write a book about why it would be wrong to impeach her. Remember, the Republicans were saying, the day she comes into office, we're going to impeach her. And so, of wow. course, it didn't turn out that way. Yeah. So I just changed the name, Clinton to Trump. It's the same book. I'm making the same arguments. But my radical left people think I've abandoned them, and I'm a traitor, and I've compromised my constitutional views because I like Trump. Totally false. I would be making all the same arguments. By the way, as a humorous thing, my publisher came up with a third cover, and that is the case against impeaching Trump, but in a plain brown wrapper, the kind we used to use to hide our dirty books that we were reading, you know, so nobody should know we were reading them, so that people on Martha's Vineyard could read my book without anybody wow, attacking them and knowing yeah, that it was that's me. A good point. Right, so that's why so we produced this So interesting, that's yeah. hilarious. That's hilarious. So for me, I think sometimes, like even, I run a company, so sometimes in a company, you will have a number one and you'll have a number two. So in sports, if you only have a one and two, and then there's a very big drop off on number three, there's not really that much competition. So Monopoly, two against everybody else, if you know what I'm talking about, sure. it's two against everybody else. When a third shows up, it kind of gets exciting. Mm -hmm. Because now we, as the fans, are really able to watch and say, what? Sure. Who's really the best? Sure. I don't know who's really the best. So for me, I think if we get a third party, and I know a lot of people say, we're not ready for it. I don't think it's going to happen. Everybody's worried about independent. Oh, my God, if Howard Schultz runs, he's going to hurt Hillary Clinton. He shouldn't. Oh, he's going to hurt right. Biden because of this. Right. Look what Ross Perot did. Ross Perot is the reason why Bush. All these things that you keep hearing about, right, if independent get, got elected. But... Isn't that too much politics, again, if they're so worried about a third party versus us being able to get these two sides to have another competitor that they have to face off and have an argument Look, for? Look, I would love to see a centrist party that said, we're going to combine together real conservatives and real liberals. We're going to exclude the extreme right wing, and we're yeah. going to exclude the extreme left wing. It could work in other countries. Can't work with the Electoral College in the United States because... In order to win the electoral vote, you have to win majorities in enough states with enough electors. And so third parties generally have tended to be spoilers. The last time we really had a third party that had any chance of winning was with Teddy Roosevelt back in the teens of the 
20th century. And I just don't think that it's in our future. I do think Howard Schultz would hurt the Democrats, and therefore he probably won't do it. I think that Bloomberg would be as close as we could get to having a third-party candidate that would get a lot of votes, but he's had all of his people run through the numbers, and he doesn't see a path to winning either the nomination or the election. So reluctantly, he's decided not to run. I could vote for him in a minute. What do you think about that? What do you think about his decision? I think he's probably right empirically, and he doesn't want to hurt the Democratic Party. So instead, what he's doing is contributing millions and millions of dollars to candidates that he think have a chance of of winning, and, and I hope he's right. Do you know who those names are? No. But, you know, he's a pretty secretive guy. He's a, he's, he's, he sticks to himself. I've had dinner with him a couple of times. I like him very much, and uh, he's a very thoughtful guy. He seems like a very interesting guy, and I don't know if, like for me, if I sat there and I said, you got Trump, you got a person on the other side that maybe he wouldn't want to face off. I mean, if you got a guy that's worth 50 plus billion, the argument about wealth and success and money is even if not mm-hmm. an upper hand. If you got you know names in New York, he's also got some credibility in New York. It would have made for an interesting matchup. If it's a pay-per-view, you want to see some matchups going on, sure. it would have been fun to see him oh, there's no getting question. in the ring and, uh, and, and competing. So, you know, again, let me challenge that a little bit because sometimes, you know, when you've been around for a while, and, and I'd be curious to know what you would say about this, when you've been around for a while, sometimes your belief system becomes so deep and ingrained that sometimes you have blind spots. Absolutely. And I'm not no, saying you have no, it. I'm no, just no. saying as anybody, sometimes we, all, we have blind spots. We all yeah. have it. You know, I run a business and I watch sometimes. I'm like, well, Pat, you've been around for so long. Maybe you're having a blind spot within a business you're in. And maybe you got to kind of be open-minded about what they're talking sure. about over here because anytime I'm too closed, Look, innovation. I'm open. I'm open so, to the possibility that a third party may someday be able to prevail in this country. I don't think in the coming election. Oh, no, no. I'm work. with you on that. I agree. I just don't. But the part I was going to ask you was the following. Do you think we need a, revolutionary is not the right word for it, a, a true believer synergist, somebody who can really move the crowd, move the audience, energize the audience on the middle for somebody? Like, for instance, day one, who thought Trump was going to be president? Honestly, day one. Who thought day one Obama was going to be pre- president? Yeah, yeah. Who thought day one a lot of these guys were going to no, be presidents? Right? I mean, Clinton went against senior until that one debate takes place. Nobody thought he was going to of win. Course. You know, Bush yeah. senior was resume director of CIA. He had all this stuff going on for himself. Do you think the right person with the right message that can move us will inspire some from the right and some from the left to say, I'm going to go over here and sure. get the 40% type of number? It's possible. If you got the right person, but the problem is when you have that, you can also just as easily get the wrong person, a charismatic populist leader who is a racist or who is for the so, middle? You could no. I mean, saying anytime you oh, yes, you absolute, say you want to break the mold absolutely. and get a populist. Yes, uh, sure, a populist wouldn't necessarily appeal to the middle. But we have to remember, if you look back at some of the very bad elections in Europe, where they elected fascists or communists or others, mm-hmm. the middle supported many of these folks because the countries were in deep trouble. The difference is America is doing great. It's really doing great for the most part. Even the poorest of Americans are doing better than they did in years past. This is not not a a recipe. I know. This is not a recipe for extremism. And yet we're seeing a movement toward extremism. It's hard to explain. The same thing is true in Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe has never been better off. Life in Poland, in Austria, you name it, Lithuania, Latvia. Life's good in these countries compared to what it was under communism, under fascism. And yet we're seeing a move to the hard right with a lot of populism 
and bigotry. So it's dangerous. I asked you the question about what's changed with Democrat from 50s, 60s to today. Let's ask the question on the other side. What's changed with the Republican side? Well, I think we've eliminated what we used to call Eisenhower Republicans, and that is centrist Republicans who were fiscally conservative, foreign policy conservative, but socially not so conservative. It's like the British Conservative Party is very different from the American Republican Party. British Conservative Party supports a woman's right to choose, supports gay rights, opposes the death penalty, supports gun control, supports control of the environment. I could be a conservative in England. I think I would be a conservative in England, certainly if the Labor Party was headed by Corbett. The American Republican Party, however, is now owned in large part by the hard, hard religious right and social conservative right so that Donald Trump, to get that vote, has to be opposed to a woman's right to choose, has to be opposed to gay marriage, has to be opposed to environmental controls, has to be opposed to gun control. Mm. That makes it hard for a centrist to move to the Republican Party. Many of my friends have done that, though. They say, look, those are interesting issues, but they're not the central issues. The central issues are the economy and foreign policy, so I will hold my nose on social mm -hmm. issues and vote Republican. People do that. It's understandable. Right. I'm not doing that. Got it. Got it. At the moment. That may change. I tell you, I, I listen to you, and what I like about your arguments is you'll, you'll go, your, your argument's very logical, and then there's some that's purely belief, you're a true believer, like, you know, anti-Semitism, all that stuff. That's mm. core, that's blood, that's sure. heritage, that's core. And I respect that because, you know, you are who you are. I'm an American. I served the military, but I still have a lot of love for Iran. I was born and raised in sure. Iran. I have affinity to that country. Look, as an Iran's Armenian, a great as a country. The oh, people of Iran have the best uh, commitment to liberty and civil liberties of any country other than Israel in the Middle East. And it's interesting that the two countries, which have had fairly strong traditions of liberty, the two Muslim non-Arab countries, Iran and now Turkey, are moving toward religious fundamentalism. And it's a tragedy because the people don't want it. The people don't want it. Side it's a dictatorship. What do you think about the Shah? History well, you know, I, I think that the Shah was mixed. He had a lot of good. He gave tremendous rights to women. He was much more tolerant of minority religions and other groups. On the other hand, he used dictatorial methods to achieve some of his goals. I still think we should have supported him and we shouldn't have abandoned them. We should have always thought about the alternative. You know, what comes next and what came next has been horrible for the people of Iran. You know, people, gays are being thrown off rooftops, dissidents are being murdered by the thousands. Is that an improvement? No. You know, you have to always think of things comparatively. And so tyrants, people who are dictators, people who deny basic rights, can be much better than the alternative. That was true of Iran. That was true, believe it or not, of Saddam Hussein, who was a terrible, terrible, horrible tyrant. That was. It may be true in Syria. Sometimes you prefer tyrannical consistency than you do allowing in the radical elements who you can't have any control over. It's always a choice between evils, and sometimes the worst evil is the one you don't know, and that was certainly true in Iran. Let's talk a minute about your uh, book before we, go into, uh, uh, before we go into talking about some of the college cheating scandal that's sure. taking place. From your perspective, I've been here since November 20, 1990. So that's senior, then it was Clinton, then, you know, I've, I've seen that transition. But I wasn't here for Reagan, Carter, you know, Nick, I wasn't here for that. Has it been a typical strategy from the opposing side, no matter who gets elected, we drop the word impeachment? And have you seen that consistently from both sides? 
as a Democrat, or do you only see it from one side? I see it from both sides, okay. without a doubt. Look, Nixon should have been impeached. Uh, he committed high crimes and misdemeanors, obstruction of justice, and a range of other serious, serious crimes. Clinton should never have been impeached. That was not a high crime. If anything, it was a low crime. It was a personal crime. It didn't deal with governance. Trump should not be impeached. And Clinton, Hillary Clinton, should not have been impeached. So I think we're seeing the weaponization of impeachment for political purposes. That's why I wrote my book. I also wrote a book called Trumped Up, where I argue that the attempt to go after Trump or anybody else by using the criminal justice system is a mistake. I think the same thing is true with Netanyahu in Israel. They're trying to go after him instead of beating him in elections. They're trying to go after him and destroy him uh, through criminal processes. I think that's always a mistake with elected officials unless the crime is crystal clear the way it was with Richard Nixon. Outside of him, has it ever been crystal clear? Other than Nixon, no. In fact, the other impeachment that we had, Andrew Johnson, totally wrong. Never should have been impeached. He should have been thrown out of office. He was a bum. But he shouldn't have been impeached. He didn't commit high crimes and misdemeanors. Yeah, that's a different story. So uh, does it typically slow down on the second term? No. Typically what happens is the president often is weaker in the second term. So sometimes uh, if the other party controls the House and the Senate, or certainly if they control the House even alone, the arguments for impeachment increase. I think the Democrats have learned the lesson. Republicans got hurt in the end when they impeached Clinton. I think the leadership of the Democratic Party is not going to move to impeach Trump, though the radicals in the party are running on that ground, you know, run to impeach him. And some who ran to impeach him lost, but some won. Do you have a relationship with Nancy Pelosi at all? Is there a... I know her. And but nothing I'm worse not than a close relationship. Consultant, no. Nothing like that. No. Yeah, because she's the one that's kind of getting away from it, if you listen I to what she I think that's right. Says. And I yeah, think Schumer, too, who I've known for a long time. He went to Harvard Law School as well. So I think Schumer more influenced by Pelosi. I think if Schumer was the deciding factor, she would probably say, impeach, impeach, impeach. I don't know what happened when Pelosi kind of started saying, hey, we got to stop this conversation about impeachment. But, you know, they substituted instead a thousand cuts of a knife by having right. this investigation, that investigation, right. subpoenas. That can be abused also. I grew up during McCarthyism when the House Un-American Activities mm. Committee subpoenaed everybody. Yeah. And that was an abuse of Congress and some of the courts so held. So what do you think about that? What do you think what's going on right now with the whole Mueller investigation? I don't, I don't like it. I don't think we needed a special counsel. I don't think we need these investigations. What I called for on day one was a nonpartisan, independent expert commission to look into the 2016 election, which was a disaster from every point of view. I'm not talking about the results, I'm talking about the process. Is there any credibility in the Mueller investigation that they're doing right now? Is there anything that's going to come out and, and what are they really afraid of? What, you know, what, what are they afraid of that's going to come out? I never thought that President Trump had anything much to worry about with the Mueller investigation. I think he always had much more to worry about about the Southern District of New York investigation because that can look into his business. Dealings before he was president, he would have no constitutional defenses against that. Whereas I think if Mueller were to make the mistake of accusing him of obstruction of justice for firing Comey or anything like that, he would have constitutional defenses. It can't be a crime to exercise your constitutionally authorized political authority. What is everybody waiting for right now? What is the, what is the waiting game right now? Well, I think people are waiting to see if they can make it impossible for Trump to govern by going after him and everybody else and diverting him from his actions. Look. I voted against Trump, but when I'm in an airplane, I root for the pilot. I don't care who the pilot is, I root for the pilot. He's the pilot right now. I want him to succeed. I don't want necessarily to succeed to the 
point where he's reelected. I think I want to see who else runs against him. That's not the point. The point is he's president now. I don't want to see him have a terrible presidency. It would be bad for America. I want to see him a successful president. Then we can decide who to vote for in 2020. You've had strong opinions about what's going on with the collar cheating scandal. Right. What, 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 what is your biggest concern with what's going on with, is it Lori Laughlin and uh, Felicity <laughs> Hoffman and some yeah. of these other names that are coming up? And I think Yale was a part of it, UCLA, USC, a lot of different names. Well, Harvard the schools wasn't a part of it weren't part of it. Uh, they were coaches, particular sure, coaches. Sure, but the name's tied to the oh, school. Oh, sure. Yeah. And it's a terrible, terrible yeah. thing. Look, I think we ought to go back much more to meritocracy. I was so lucky. I went to probably the only college in the United States was purely meritocratic. I went to Brooklyn College, just down the road here. To get into Brooklyn College, you either had to have like an 87 average in high school, or if you didn't, you had to take a test, and you could pass the test. Nobody asked you who your father was, your mother was. Nobody asked for a contribution. There was no tuition. I got in on the merits. I took the test, and I finished first in my class. Uh, that's how I got from Brooklyn to Yale Law School. The same thing at Yale Law School. It was meritocratic. I finished first in my class. I was editor-in-chief of the Yale Law Journal. So Harvard offered me a job. I want to go back to the meritocracy, where people aren't given an advantage to get into college if you're an alumni's child, if you're uh, an athlete, uh, if you uh, have some other, you come from a certain part of the country. I think schools are much better off if they're completely meritocratic. You take a school like uh, Bronx High School of Science High School, or Stuyvesant High School, they're completely meritocratic. You take a test, you get in. Yeah, so it turns out the majority of the students are Asian. Good for them. They study hard, they work hard, they have learned how to take tests. That's against Let's the Democratic Party them. argument. Though. I know. You know I what know. I'm saying? Again, I'm, because it's all in, about. I believe you know, that every student should have a good education. And we should have schools for people, very good schools for people who didn't get into Stuyvesant Town. Stuyvesant. But I don't want to diminish the academic quality of Stuyvesant in the name of identity politics. When did that change, by the way? It hasn't changed with those schools, but it's changed with attitudes. Attitudes have changed. And I have to tell you, in 50 years of Harvard, I have to, there's no doubt in my mind that the standards have gone down considerably as the result of attempts to diversify and never say anything that's critical of a student. Nobody gets a C anymore. Every student is a B student, at least. B, A, A plus. Now we're trying to abolish grades. You know what the impact of abolishing grades would be? Family connections will become even more important. Because if you have family connections and nobody has grades, guy with the family connections, woman with the family connections gets the job. Grades gives you an opportunity to compete meritocratically against wealthy and powerful people. And you if we abolish like that, Democrat. we well, I'm not a Democrat yeah. on this issue. Does a four-year degree have the same credibility today as it did four no, years ago? No, and it shouldn't. But the one thing and I do... And it shouldn't. And what it do you shouldn't? mean it shouldn't? Because Why not? I think we've watered down uh, academics. I think the one where I agree with even the liberal part right. of the Democratic Party, I would like to see free tuition for college in as many places as possible. And I think there are ways of doing that. I have a, a, a plan that I've always thought of. Free tuition. But when you want to go to a school, you have to pledge contract that you're going to contribute 5% of your earnings for the rest of your life back to the school. <laughs> Free tuition. Everybody gets into the school. 5% back. Nobody owes a penny when they graduate. And then 
What is five percent? I give more That's than that. That's a lot of money. I give a lot more than Are that to charity. Are you kidding me? That's give, a lot of money. I give ten percent for you because you earn a lot of money. No, but five percent. That's a percent. lot of money. No, no, it's so not that much money. So you need to tell me. So if I go, I get free college. I make a right. hundred grand a year. Yep. Okay, let's just say average right now is fifty-five k. Yeah. But do mean, okay? Let's just say fifty now and and hundred yeah. uh, k later, inflation, yeah. whatever. Say it's seventy-five. Yeah. Seventy-five times forty is one point five million. Five okay. percent of one point five million. So you have an option. Don't accept that option. No, I love Wait, that. No, 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 no. Everybody has that option. When you apply to a school, you have two options. Pay tuition now and be in debt or sign this contract. You choose. If you think you're going to make a bloody fortune, take the risk. That's not free college, Pay the though. tuition. No, it's free college for anyone who wants it to be free college, but it puts off the decision yeah. to when you have a lot of money. I, I think it really makes people realize what the word free means because mm -hmm. no free, free to lunch, me is the biggest F-bomb in the world. Course, you know, you, you know got to be that. careful course, with the word free. Of course. So, okay, so now let me let me say from my standpoint, do you have any gr uh, grandkids? I do. I have two grandkids, both in medical school. Okay. So today, if I'm your kid, okay, and I'm 18 years old, right. I'm a good student. I'm okay. I'm not crazy. Like, you know, I don't have a scholarship. Right. Okay. What would you advise me to do? Would you still advise me to go get a degree? It all depends who you are. If you have great academic interests and intellectual curiosity, I say definitely, yes, go for it. Go to a good liberal arts college. Don't think it's going to help you that much. If you want to be helped, go to graduate school, go to law school, go to medical school, go to business school. But a good undergraduate degree is very, very important if you have academic interests. If you don't, I would say go to a school that will give you the tools necessary to get into a business or a trade. Be trained for the job you're going to have. And uh, I don't think we should put that down. If you want to go to pilot school, hey, I want to encourage that. What is engineering school? Engineering school is a variation of trade school. Most engineering schools, you don't get a high dose of liberal arts, but you learn how to do things. And I think we should be pushing for a diverse array of post-high school experiences. So what is the big deal with the scandal? The scandal is what? The fact that they pay to get their kids in even though they didn't qualify in SAT and Look, all this other stuff. There are three groups of people. There are the super, super, super rich. They weren't influenced by the scandal. It's very easy. They give $100 million to have a building built named after them and the kid gets in. Then you have the poor people who have no influence and they can't buy their way in. These are the middle rich people. The people who are worth $10 million, $20 million, but not $500 million. They can't contribute a building. So they took the system and they abused it. And they said to themselves, I'm not doing anything different from what the billionaire has done. The billionaire bought a building, I'm going to buy a coach or I'm going to rent them. I'm not going to buy them. So what is the It's scandal? a crime. It's a crime. The I difference know, I understand is it's a, a RICO, crime. But, but for, for me... I don't think it's a RICO. I don't think that's They're bringing it up, up as a RICO. I know. Yeah. And I'm not sure what Felicity Hoffman did was was a crime. It is not a crime under federal law to bribe a private person. I can bribe you to make a better television show for me. That's not a crime. I wouldn't do it, but it's not a crime. You have to bribe a government official. So To be I, a RICO case? To be any kind of a criminal case. Okay. You can't bribe a private citizen yeah. except if there are special statutes that provide for So that. what is the difference between a person that gives a half a million or a million and six million versus the person that, I went to Harvard OPM program and I stayed at the property with uh, the courses doing Michael Porter, all these guys were Michael's teaching. Michael's a good friend of mine. Yeah, Michael Porter. And then they had this other guy, Lawrence Culp from uh, Danaher, brilliant, right. brilliant speaker, and Lynette was running it. But every day we, had at the, we ate at this place called the Chow Hall, okay? Mm -hmm. So when I ate there the first time, I was in the U.S. Army before. I said, oh, Chow Hall, why? They call it also Chow, you know, U.S. Army Chow Hall. No, no, 
It's named after somebody Chow. named Chow, of Mr. Course. Chow. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. oh, Mr. Chow. So I go and I read the whole thing. I'm like, oh, this is a different Chow Hall. It's a beautiful Chow Hall, incredibly built, beautiful place. You know, okay. the only president of Harvard that doesn't have a house named after him? Every president of Harvard has a house named after him. I think the second or third president of Harvard, his name was Hoare. H-O-A-R. <laughs> and I've never been able to figure out why they don't have a house named after him. It's an absolute mystery. So can I go to the, yeah, um, I don't know if it's, uh, which one is this? Did you go there? Email, he was at the whorehouse yesterday. Okay. Uh, uh, so, so what is the big deal? If I'm going to give $100 million and build yeah. a place called Chow Hall and yeah. another person pays $5 million, why am I not being the one getting all this heat? Because what you did was legal. In America, we make sharp distinctions between what might be questionably, uh, questionable morality-wise and what's criminal. And uh, at least according to the indictment, these parents and these coaches, the coaches clearly did something that was illegal if they took the money and put it in their own pocket. 25 million bucks. But one some of, them, of yeah. them took the money and at least gave part of it to the program of the school. People who did that, the parents may not be guilty of taking a tax deduction if their part of the money went to the school itself. It's going to be complicated. It won't be an easy case. I think most of the parents will plead guilty. And I think we'll see a lot of plea bargains and a lot of negotiation to, as to what the appropriate response is. To me, the real victims here are the kids. And, you know, you're 15, you're 16, you're 17 years old. Your parents are more interested where you go to college than you are. For them, it's prestige and status. And uh, these kids are devastated. Everybody in their school knows now that they bought their way in. And they're going to have a really hard time. And it also says, you know, my parents didn't think I'm good enough to do it on my own. We had to cheat to get me in. That's a terrible, That's tough. terrible thing. That's a tough one right there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, last uh, topic here. You, uh, you were, a, were you a consultant on the O.J. Simpson case? or were you? No, one I of was the, one of the lawyers. So I you was were there. working with Shapiro, Johnny Cochran? Oh, yeah, I okay. argued motions. And I was going to do the appeal if he had lost. But he won, so I didn't do the appeal. But uh, you want me to show you in 30 seconds why he won the case? You never see this on television. I'd be curious. They found socks of O.J. Simpson, which had the blood of O.J. Simpson and the blood of a victim of the murder. What could be better evidence? There were only two problems with the socks. The blood contained EDTA, which is an anticoagulant not found in the human body. It's a blood thinner. If you had it in your body, you'd die. And it's used in test tubes to prevent blood from coagulating. So that was pretty good proof that Office of Van Adder, who had access to the test tubes, simply poured them on the sock. And then the other thing that was very important is the socks had blood on the outside, a blood splatter, the exact same blood splatter on the second inside, that makes sense, but they also had the exact blood splatter on the third side and the fourth side. And if he had been wearing the socks when they splattered, the third and the fourth side wouldn't have the identical mirror image blood splatter. The only way you get a mirror image blood splatter is if the socks are lying flat on the table and you pour the blood on top of it. So we were able to prove that the police set out to frame somebody they believed was innocent, guilty, framing a guilty man, and the jury didn't accept that. And the jury said, we're not going to convict. Come on. Yeah, that's what happened. And, it, and you don't see it on the television shows. They never produce that piece of evidence because they have a narrative. They want you to think that the only reason he was acquitted because he was black and there were nine black African-Americans on the jury. But there were three non-African-Americans on the jury mm -hmm. and they voted to acquit also.
So I asked Robert Shapiro what he thinks about the, you know, was he really guilty or not? What's your opinions on that? About well, uh, you're the second person to ask me that question. The first person was Benjamin Netanyahu. When he first got elected prime minister of Israel, he called me into his office. We schmoozed a little, and then he took me into his private room and said, Alan, I need to ask you something. I thought he was going to ask about the Iran deal, the Palestinians. He said, Alan, did O.J. do it? I said, Mr. Prime Minister, does Israel have nuclear weapons? He said, Alan, you know I can't tell you that. I said, Mr. Prime Minister, you know I can't tell you that. A lawyer can never reveal what he believes about the innocence or guilt of a client. <clears throat> it's the same exact answer Robert Shapiro gave. I know you guys haven't spoken not for many years, but you're very, not as interesting not as with the Prime Minister of Israel. Right, no, right. Not as interesting as yours. Obviously, I can talk to you for hours about many different topics, but this has been a pleasure. Uh, if you want to find out more about uh, the case against impeaching not Hillary Clinton impeaching Trump. We don't have the Clinton version one. But we I have another book coming out soon. I have a book called Defending Israel, My Relationship with My Most Challenging Client. And it's a it's history a of my relationship with Israel over 70 years, from the time I was 10 until the current time. Stories about every one of the prime ministers, every one of the presidents who I interacted with, and I think it should be a really when interesting is that read. Out? It'll be out September. Alan, thank you thank so you much. Thank you so for much. It. Great interview. Great thank questions. you. Appreciate you. Thanks everybody for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five star. Write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick Bid David, and I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.